0: Oh, they did it. It. The kick the game. Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast. We are the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. I'm delighted to say all of which have joined me once again this week for our latest instalment. And as you might have guessed, we're going to be talking about Spurs' latest victory. 2-0 away win at Nottingham Forest, which takes Spurs to the top of the away table in the Premier League, War Trophy. That's Ooh. the one that everyone really wants to get their hands on, isn't it? Um, and joining me as always, Elio Sox and Dave. Elio, I'm going to come to you first. And I understand that not for the first time on this show, your voice is going through some trials at the moment. You're not quite at 100% strength, but of course, you've made the extra effort to come here today. And it's not for once due to shouting and screaming at our players,
1: or is it? No, no, it's actually not for once. In fact, this is one <laughs> game that I didn't watch live at all and had to rewatch the whole match afterwards. Oh, wow. So I'm not sure if I should be admitting that as the first thing I say after an episode's out. But yeah, no, <laughs> I've, I've just had a touch of the laryngitis that's going around London at the moment. Glad that you postponed by a day for me to record because I'm looking forward to this one. Kind of feel yeah. like we're the Rolling Stones and I'm the Mick Jagger, so they postponed <laughs> for his voice, you postponed for mine all stands to reason. You would put yourself as the Mick Jagger, wouldn't you? That's not
0: even a little bit of a surprise. So this is you having actually recovered. This is the better version. You were worse than this yesterday. I was much worse than this. Thank you for asking, Ron Woods. (laughs) (laughs) Is it naive of me to think that you're going to make an effort to talk less than you usually do?
1: No, no, no. I intend to pollute the airwaves with these (laughs) raspy repubescent tones all hour long. I've been sent on a mission by Sox to drain you
0: of whatever voice you have left before the halfway point of the show, so he's got free <laughs> reign to talk about but Speaking of which, Sox, welcome back for another episode. Hopefully you're feeling, um well, you're never quite 100%, are you? But you're doing well enough. Welcome back for another episode. Uh, <laughs> your voice, I'm sure, is in full working
2: order. How's your brain today? Yeah, good, thanks. I mean, on the topic of Rolling Stones analogies as long as I don't get Brian Jones or Charlie Watts, given they're both dead, then <laughs> I'm happy to take either of the others. So I guess I'll be, who's left? I'll take Keith. I'll be key Ritchie's
1: mean, on this one. Technically, as the newcomer to the pod, you
0: should be the Rod Woods. Shouldn't we be talking about which Spurs players we are rather than which Rolling Stones we
3: are? No, the, the, the we Spurs players the, are too young. We're about in the too... same age bracket as the Rolling Stones.
0: <laughs> 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 I'd be, we yeah, were basically Perisic is the only one we are allowed to be. That mm-hmm. voice chiming in there was Dave. Dave, welcome back. How are you doing? You're in better shape than Elia this week.
3: Yeah, I'm fine.
0: Despite the fact that you now go to bed at nine o'clock.
3: At the latest. um, I'm fine, (laughs) thanks, yeah. Well, Leeds have had a bit of a slump in form, but it was only expected. It's a championship, but I'm fine. I did
0: look up Leeds' results, but they seemed pretty uninspiring. Was it a draw this week?
3: Yeah, we drew at home against Coventry, which was a game we should have won.
0: I imagine you're at the point where you don't want to talk about draws. It's wins or nothing
3: for now. Well, no. I mean, we're, we're not even halfway through the season, which is insane. being the fact we've already played 22 games. But yeah, we've got Ipswich at home on Saturday, Ooh, big which game. is obviously a big one.
0: That's huge. That is huge. I saw a tweet the other day that made me laugh that said Matt Letizia doesn't want to watch Norwich versus Ipswich because he's not a fan of Big Pharma. And it was spelt F-A-R-N-E-R. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> <move on>. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> Dave, very good. You have what I understand you've watched the highlights on more than one occasion which is an outstanding step up in effort. That's good, even though you were asleep by the time the game started. Exactly,
3: big time effort. So you're well prepared
0: for this week. Elio, you mentioned that you had to watch it on a recording. Did you actually know the result when you watched it or did you go in blind?
1: I don't know. Dad was texting me updates, so I, I you know I wouldn't have watched if we'd lost <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah that's a very good point actually yeah I had the same thing with the West Ham game actually where I, I was naively trying to avoid seeing the result and then I just saw the result pop up on my phone and I was like oh well I saved myself one there didn't I but anyway we did not lose we won this game we won this game 2-0 second win in a row following a very impressive uttering against Newcastle this one hasn't quite given me the same warm fuzzy feeling as the Newcastle game did am I being a little bit ungrateful there socks, in saying that I've come away from that? game feeling a little bit underwhelmed
2: no it's funny you mention that because i felt the exact same way i was talking about this with someone the other day where the more i watch his play this season the more i realize i'm 100 uh, percent performance first and yeah. then worry about the results kind of guy obviously it's easy to say because you you know we had the first 30 minutes against Chelsea, which was more entertaining than the first 90 minutes of this game. But then we walked away feeling crap because of the results. So the reality is you need both. But yeah, I kind of had one of those feelings where it was like, it was similar to, we were speaking about it last time where we come up against teams who Mm. start with a low block and it, it fell into a pattern like a lot of our games have this season whereby... We started off pretty well, didn't necessarily capitalize on our early chances. Not that we created dozens and dozens of them. It was only a small handful. And mm-hmm. then it just kind of fell into this weird rhythm. And then the second Basuma got sent off. It was slightly more of a not quite backs against the wall. It's not as if we started dropping deep, but you knew the last 20 minutes were always going to be a game management kind of thing. So maybe, I mean, maybe we shouldn't really get to the point where we're feeling ungrateful, even though we've gotten three points. Bearing in mind, we were just on a run of one point out of... 15 or anything like that but i share your sentiments entirely yeah there's not going to be a spectacular dominant performance every single week you've got to take
0: the ugly wins every so often and you know it's a bit of a cliche but the teams that win things do have to win games that way sometimes but i can't help feeling that i wouldn't go as far as to say we deserve to lose or anything like that but i don't think it was a particularly impressive performance what do you think helio having watched that back i think
1: you're both being a bit harsh (laughs) Yeah. I, I watched, I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't riveting stuff.
0: Why did
2: not you ever- shout about it,
1: Elio? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you leave your house socks?
0: <laughs> all, right, all right, gentlemen, come on, back to the topic. Um, the Rolling I... Stones never fought like this.
1: Yes, they did. Um, so where was I? Yeah, I watched the match with the benefit of having Reds both are whatsapp groups and just a lot of sort of social media expression of disappointment underwhelment whatever about the match so I was, I was looking out for sort of what it was all about and i think what i saw in the first half at least was fairly positive performance there was a spell in the first half sort of in the sort of 30s where we did come under a bit of pressure but generally i thought we deserved to go 1-0 up in the first half Kulisewski alone could have had three assists yeah. single-handedly with the chances was creating and i'm sure we're going to talk about him today so we will so it may not have been quite the sort of electric incisive football that we played against newcastle but we dominated we created the better chances and we thoroughly deserved the lead against the side who, okay they're not doing as well this season as they were last season but they are generally a very good home side second half different story i thought forest came out really really well mm-hmm we didn't overly deal with it from the off. But I also think that there's a slight element of depleted squads with games that can fast in December coming into play there and our players tiring a bit. I think mm. Nottingham Forest could have very easily equalised. They didn't. We got our second with a bit of fortune and maybe the scoreline flattered us a bit, but I think by the end of it, we still deserve the victory.
0: Fair enough. Dave, on the basis of the highlights, do you think that, that holds true? Do you think Spurs Litz, like they deserve the win in the end?
3: I think so, yeah. I mean, you, you definitely had more of the, well, the phrase that they use in the stats is big chances, but you definitely yeah. had more of the, I would class the chances that you had that you didn't score as big chances, whereas I would class the chances that I saw in the highlights that Forrest didn't score, apart from the header at the back post, which was a big chance. I would say mm. that they, they didn't have much of a muchness, to be honest. I mean, the highlights, willy-bolly managing to get it out of the ground from yeah. nine yards made it onto the highlights. That shouldn't be anywhere near the highlights if if not in Forrest having more than two or three chances. So, yeah, I think on that basis, you deserve the win. I also think, God, what I wouldn't give for a boring 2-0 away win (laughs) when you're down to 10 men for 20 minutes of it. I mean, that's... You know, yeah. you don't know you're born, quite frankly, guys. <laughs> It'd be nice if it, it was a that. bit
0: more boring. We didn't have to go down to 10 men and it was a little bit more routine, right?
2: I think you're doing a bit of a disservice to Vicario who made more than, I mean, there was one in particular. Yes,
3: the back post header um, that and Vicario successfully kept out with his legs. I think he yeah. saved, "I think he made a save with everybody apart from his hands uh, in, that, in that game, to be honest. <laughs> Is that some uh, sort of new squawk There was, there was that, one save we... which I swear came <laughs> off his leg his leg, and his, and his chest and his chin. Uh, Fantastic! Very impressive.
0: It reminds me of a diagram I saw breaking down all of Erling Haaland's goals, and they were pointing—you know, left foot, right foot, head, whatever—and then there was one that was just straight up pointing to his penis that said "other." And I was like, I don't remember that, (laughs) but well done. (laughs) It's very impressive. (laughs) Um, Anyway, to bring it back, bring it back to Spurs. You mentioned big chances. A man who's been creating more than his fair share, and not necessarily getting the rewards for it, because apparently his teammates can't finish them off is Dayan Kulusevsky. And if there's one thing I want to get Elio to talk about before his voice finally gives up for the episode, it is the ginger from Sweden, who once again had a brilliant game, possibly man of the match, probably our best player at the moment. What would you like to say about uh, young Dayan, who is about to become a father?
1: I mean, first of all, obviously, congratulations to him, even though he won't hear those congratulations, I imagine. (laughs) I can't really say too much that I haven't already said. I mean, in a match like that, you're looking at him and thinking what's the chink in your armor great passing great dribbling great pressing great crossing from the left from the middle for the right i mean it was it was a very complete performance and before his assist he slid in son beautifully and could have an assist from there he got the ball after some lovely dribbling across to brennan johnson who saw his shot really really well saved by the forest goalkeeper after his assist he obviously scored his goal as well Bit of fortune in how that came about. But then he also had another great shot, which, with a bit of luck, ends up in the back of the net as well. I mean, it really, really was a complete performance. And I think people are beginning to wake up to quite how good this player is. Uh, I just, we can't expect him to trees up every single match, but his baseline is getting higher with each match at the moment. And this was an absolutely machine like display of what you want from an attacker it's just a shame he's not doing it at the Mm -hmm. same time as madison's in the team because the two of them dovetailing would be absolutely glorious but hopefully we have that to look forward to i think the only real shame is that he did end up having to go out to the right albeit that's where he assisted from because he was a one-man midfield when he was in the middle and it was beautiful
0: I think the key thing is you could say he's maybe more effective in the middle, and I would say that, but he's certainly not ineffective from the right. He's been playing there enough, and every time recently where he's had to shift over there because we've made a sub or we've had an injury or whatever it's been, he's got the job done. And obviously, he scored a goal from that side He's going to get
1: double figures in goals this season. He's on five now, isn't he? Is that right? He's on five now. Um, I'd be surprised if he doesn't get another five in the next 22 matches or 21 matches or whatever we've got left unless he gets an injury basically i I just think he's blossoming in front of our eyes and well given that cock womble has already started trying to whore out (laughs) and to manchester city won't be long (laughs) before he's doing the same with decky
0: i was wondering how long it would take until you had a stab at gary neville but we'll maybe we'll come back to that only
1: a figurative and not a literal one
0: (laughs) (laughs) At what point do we put disclaimers on our, our podcast? I feel like we're we're going to be in legal trouble one of these days if we're not already. Um, on Kulisewski, he's got five goals, as you rightly said. A few impressive stats for him at the moment. I don't know if you knew any of these. I think we all know that he's covered the most ground of any player in the Premier League this season. That hasn't changed. Um, I'm, that moving I'm moving it on, guys. I'm moving it on. <laughs> sorry sorry stop would, would you like me to, no, to no, give no, you a minute to process no. elio's murder last you know what? My,
2: my favorite bit even before that was when he said i can't say anything more about Kudaseski that i haven't already said and then went on for about four <laughs> a and
0: minutes <laughs> and <think> that's, it... <laughs> that's vintage elio that is, that is i know vintage. he loves yeah. him but i mean yeah. about,
2: through sickness and in health i mean yeah. Christ. i can't I've say anymore a...
0: and i can barely speak
1: as it is
3: <laughs> i've had two in some
1: way reduced in my role i'm not gonna let my voice give me a hat trick of underperformances this week i'm here to bring my own version of Kulusevski to the podcast
0: you're like Sonny playing through a hernia oh yeah whatever it was you're, um, you're committed <laughs> and you're just getting on with it and just doing what you do yeah so Kulusevski, he's covered the most ground in the Premier League he's also had the most touches in the opposition box and he's created the most chances from open play of any player in the Premier League I mean on that basis you've got to put him in the conversation for the best player of the season so far on balance haven't you he's been fantastic so would you
2: have picked him out as the player of this match or is there anyone else that you wanted to single out? I mean, yeah, it's a complete no-brainer. I mean, we didn't have too many outstanding performances anyway. Like we said, yeah. it, it wasn't our swashbuckling best, so I don't think there were too many players, maybe Vicario aside, who were exceptional. Another another great one for Ben Davis, but... yeah. Uh, yeah. on Kulusevsky yeah I mean again we are seeing him more and more in his natural position so we are starting to see the best of him and Gary Neville did actually talk about him they interviewed him after the game and he did mention and I guess earlier, because you would have watched the highlights about the Sky Sports that you would have missed this but he said he's an 80 to 100 million pound player so you're saying he's going to start whoring him off he already has started whoring him off a little bit <laughs> and he even sort of made the comment about how you know Madison is sat there watching at home on the TV and saying you know I'm gonna have to sort of fight for my place back or whatever it is Kulusevsky's performing so well so mm. he is now starting to get the attention of everybody else basically outside of tottenham then i do think he actually raised to be fair to him an interesting point because kulisovsky on the right is not ineffective but definitely less effective and i think the things you see from him on the right are more so him being a workhorse and his ball carrying ability than anything else because it's so tough for him when he gets double mark to be able to get those crosses consistently. we mm. are in a position now where if i said you we play against everton on saturday and they're both fit are we at the point where we're actually going, do we drop Madison for no Kulisevsky or whatever? Or are we not? not if he's, fit- I mean, like he's completely back up. You
1: know, my dream, my dream is Benson Korat 6 and Kulisevsky, and Madison dovetailing is the eight slash ten. So as we know, Ange does everything else I want him to do. So hopefully he does that as well. <laughs>
2: what I will say is that Are you implying
1: the- you, <laughs> you have some kind of psychic link to our manager, Elio? I I, I absolutely am. God, how sick am (laughs) He misses an
2: episode. (laughs) Look at this. (laughs) Um,
1: Here's a thought for you, though. And I I know we're looking a month and a half potentially into the future here. But we often talk about sort of the need for people who can stand a guy up and beat them out wide. We now have our wide players playing on their correct feet. We've already seen Madison use his right foot as a crosser of the ball to great effect this season. What if Madison actually took the berth on the right? Kulitevsky in the middle, Madison on the right
2: I mean, he's played that before for Leicester, if I'm not mistaken. I think he has deputized on the right wing before, bearing in mind I might be mistaken, that, although I don't think I am, but I don't think it's something that would have happened like dozens and dozens of times. But it's not beyond the realm of possibility anyway. I mean, I guess the response is is that it's nice to kind of have that option, but it'd be interesting to see with everybody fit now that Kulaseski has had a chance to really play himself into this kind of form. I do wonder Mm -hmm. if Ange himself is kind of having these sorts of conversations or he has a very kind of clear idea in his head.
1: I mean, I do think, especially with Basuma and obviously he's going to be a discussion point today and I'm looking forward to that. That's why I didn't talk even more about (laughs) Kulaseski. That's why um, (laughs) your voice is like it is, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> I I do feel like the benton Cordy deep with Madison and Kalisevsky, who are both very hard-working players, is, even if not every game, something we're quite likely to do. I think knowing Postacoglu as we do yeah. at the moment and seeing what his beliefs are, it's more likely than not that that will be a midfield on more than one occasion in the second half of the season.
2: Daggis, between you and me, do you think Elio's run on Basuma is going to sort of be worse than a stabbing of Gary Neville, or do you think he's going to go harder or softer?
0: <laughs> I'm going to go I think, harder. <laughs> I think Basuma will be praying for Gary Neville's fate by the end of
1: it. I feel like if you face something with between you and me, you probably shouldn't have the person you're talking about in your
0: <laughs> you
2: That's a very good point.
0: <laughs> Wait, where's the block button? How do, how do I yeah.
2: mute
0: him? <laughs> anyway, anyway. of all the wonderful things Kulisovsky did in that game the cross for Richarlison for the first goal was a thing of beauty I think it's fair to say Um, and it's worth a quick talk about Richarlison because I'm not going to say he's back but he certainly looks like he's earned his place in the team and deserves to be there and we're probably going to see a little bit more of him in the coming weeks this is an interesting stat I don't know how much relevance this has whatsoever in the nine games in which Richarlison has started this season we've won eight and drawn one not lost so maybe maybe he's the glue holding us all together. Who knows? But uh, in all seriousness, what do you guys think of his recent performances? I think, and
1: first of all, on that stat, I guess the big pinch of salt with that is that those games he was starting were pre-Chelsea when we were just winning game after game anyway before everyone got suspended mm. and injured at once. But in terms of his last couple of performances, especially since he had that miss in the defeat to, was it Aston Villa, he's come in Mm -hmm. and really done what you always knew he could do in terms of making life difficult for centre-backs, using his energy well, good back-to-goal play, holding it up nicely, and even if he's not the greatest class, and bringing others into the game. So working really hard for the front, he's an excellent presser too. So all that has been there. What we've now seen is Richardson with a bit of confidence because he got the goal against Newcastle. The second he got that goal against Newcastle, mm. everything changed. And the second goal he scored in that game, he would have missed that after the bad first touch two weeks yeah. ago. But because he already had a goal and had that confidence, that goes in. Then he plays against Forrest and really beautifully peels away from a centre-back and glances a header in as if he's Alan Gilzeen. He's showing that he's a good player now and i mean what do i always Mm. say football's primarily played between the ears, and there's no better example of this and hopefully for him as much as anything else obviously hopefully for us but hopefully for him because he deserves it he sustains this form and has a really really good season as our first choice striker i mean i don't want to speak too Mm. soon because it's two matches but I think he played really, really well overall and I think he deserved his goal.
0: Yeah, I think the whole thing of it being all mental is a bit of a double-edged sword, especially when it comes to Richardson, because there's a part of me thinking, let's enjoy this while it lasts. And I don't want to be too negative because it's great to see him scoring goals and looking good, but I think he could probably switch off form as quickly as he came into it. I think a couple of bad games or a couple of misses, we've seen it before, it can get to his head. So it might be interesting to see if he gets a run, how he copes with maybe a bad game or a bad miss and, and see if he manages to turn that around. When he's playing his old club this Saturday he is he is yeah yeah we all know you're going to score against your old club so yeah let's hope that can play in his mind and he's got a point to prove who knows who knows do you agree with keeping him in the middle and Son on the left do you think that that's the best overall net use of our assets
1: I think right now yes because right now he's in goal scoring form and he offers the physical presence that Son just can't so absolutely Hmm. right now him in the middle is the way forward longer term it may end up being games where we want to pin a right back, back with his physicality and where the centre-backs are particularly slow. And we want Son in the middle and him on the left. I mean, who knows? Yep. They'll be games when Kulusevski, assuming fit squads here, is back on the right again. Brennan Johnson's on the left and Son's down the middle. And it's sort of all the technically gifted players, quote-unquote. So I think right now, yep. Richarlison down the middle while he's scoring goals. Absolutely the way forward. Apostol actually said as well, didn't he? He said that when he was a bit low on confidence and also carrying his injury, that's part of why he pulled him out to the left in the first place because he wanted to protect him a bit. So let's see mm. what happens but That's interesting. it would be silly to move him now I didn't hear that
0: in a broader sense though Dave do you think that Spurs have a good enough collection of attacking options I know we always joke about us entitled greedy Spurs fans and we're complaining because you know we've only got three world-class attackers and we, we want five or whatever it is but in all seriousness if we want to be challenging for trophies in the near to medium term future do you think we need to improve on those options I know you can always improve and
3: squads evolve and everything but do you think what we have now is good enough to challenge yeah I think I think because some of them are so young, I think you kind of have to say that they are good enough. I think it would be a challenge to improve them without really going, you know, balls out for some hundred million pound players to try and improve those positions. So I think Brennan Johnson is going to get better. He's going to improve in time because he is young and he is still, you know, learning how, like everybody is learning how. Postacoglu wants to play. Kulusevski is inexplicably young for his ability. I would say at the moment. Son's the elder statesman, but he's an elder statesman who's only and he's probably got at least three or four years to go before you even really have to think about him not being, at the very least, an important player, if not a nil on starter. So... Yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge for you to try and improve on that, especially in the January transfer window. So I don't know if you had any thoughts that you were going to do that, but I don't think that would be a good idea. I think we should
2: continue. For the listeners, Daggers has dropped off completely. So why don't we just take over and have a bit of fun with it? Because he's going to edit this having no idea what's going on. I don't mind. I've never hosted it <laughs> no, before. Could be I don't think I'd be any good at it, but we that, can. That, that could be fun. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Plus Day podcast. I'm joined by Dave and Elio my name is plus <laughs> does that make elio <laughs> i am podcast <laughs> elio's middle name is podcast elio podcast for your taste i am podcast <laughs> I, to be honest, Dave, I didn't actually listen to a word you were saying because normally whenever Daggers sort of comes to someone else, I just kind of ignore it and hope for the best. So I don't even have a question. Oh, there he is. Thank the Lord he's back.
3: Daggers, we were just improvising. I was I was I was I was merely commenting <laughs> okay. on the fact that Kulisevsky looks like the oldest twenty three year old I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then the oldest 21-year-old is Oliver Skip. <laughs> <laughs> he,
3: he could pass oh, yeah. for like, like 33, <laughs> I think. It's like your team. It's almost like a to who's trying to create... You know, the, uh, it goes around Twitter every other year when it's like, this guy from the sticker books from the 80s was 26 when this <laughs> photo was taken. And he basically looks like everyone's dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got like no hair
0: left <laughs> so where were we Dave you just told me about our attacking options
3: yeah the short answer was no I don't think that you are in a position where you can improve on what you've got because yeah. I think if you did you'd have to spend big money to get anything yeah. that is better than what you've got or what you potentially could have with the younger players
0: yeah fair enough speaking of the younger players actually if I'm not mistaken our under-21s are playing leads under-21s as we speak should we um see how what? they're getting on yeah, now I'm going to get the live stream up. <laughs> yeah, can we have a live update? With it's It's actually
1: live on Spurs stream, so I can get into it now.
0: Yeah, there we go. And a lot of the, a lot of the players that fans have been calling for to make appearances in the Spurs first team are out there, like Dorrington and Donnelly and, and Phillips and stuff. I think Phillips, I think might be injured, but there's a couple.
2: Number one their live
0: get. F- Find that cap. Ah, there we oh, go. What? There we go. No matter what level, we're going to beat you, Dave. But anyway, from the young men to the the slightly older ones, let's let's talk about Ben Davies now. We talked about him last week, and his time in the first team is probably limited anyway. So while he's there performing, let's give him a bit more love. Elio, you weren't here last week. We were singing the praises of Ben Davies. You know, uh, I do listen a imagine... lot of
1: the episode, right? I know, but this is this is just for the this is as much for the <laughs> listeners'
0: benefit as you. And also, also, I I'm glad that you actually confirmed that because I do have have my doubts i feel like for you the biggest selling point of the show is your own voice it is you know, when, it's so <laughs> Even when it's like this so
1: so ben davies what do you have to say about him i mean he's awfully boring isn't he but in a really good way <laughs> um yeah. he's coming like and he's not making mistakes and he's not making us particularly miss the guy he's coming for he's passing well he reads the game really really well if Ben Davis was three inches taller, then you'd have a very expensive centre back. The way he's playing at the moment, so I just think, mm. I just think it's a shame for him that when Van der Ven is back, there, isn't really a place for him in the lineup because he probably deserved to keep his position on merit. The way he's been playing, not mm. really, really impressed with him. The passes he's making into midfield, I really love those very low, driven passes he's making into yep. the channels and. Obviously, having players that he can trust to control a hard-hit pass, like Kulisevsky, like Saar, like Johnson, etc., etc., gives him the confidence to be able to do that. But you still have Mm -hmm. to actually try it, and a lot of players wouldn't. So, no, only good things to say. And I might be right in thinking that, from the aerial perspective, it's actually him winning most balls in the air, not Romero. Despite Romero being the career centre back, well, I mean, I think if
0: there's one thing that, okay, there's two things you criticise Romero for, and is his discipline first and foremost, but the other one in terms of his technique, I think his aerial ability has never been the best or at least that's been the nitpicky thing that we've criticised so that does sound to reason I think the other thing with Davies for me is he brings the ball out really well his carries into midfield the way he's just taken pressure off us by running past player and, and then releasing it has been really really good and see the origins of his his fullback career there he's for a lot sure.
1: better when his centre-back partner's is not Emerson Royal that's probably yeah probably fair to say after the goal and before we
0: went 2-0 up there was obviously a little bit of um, a period of uncertainty there was a goal disallowed which sucks I think that amused you quite how long it took them to decide that that goal was disallowed, even though
2: about four players seem to be clearly offside. I mean, amused isn't the adjective I would use. No. no. In hindsight, (laughs) maybe amused. amused Yeah, yeah. One of those where you start to question what the point of VAR is, just because if that isn't clear and obvious, you know, you don't want a moment when they got the decision right. But I know Andrew's spoken a bit about it being a bit pointless because it slows down the game too much. And that doesn't exactly do much to dissuade him, I would imagine. Yeah. And then obviously 2-0 was
0: Kudasevsky again. Getting another goal on his right foot, which is nice. I think he's spoken a little bit recently about how he's realized his right foot is pretty good. So he needs to start backing himself a bit more and taking shots with it. Probably realized that around about the 98th minute of the Sheffield United game, I'd imagine. But that's nice to see. And also really well done by Son pressing. Um, I was telling you guys, I think Son should get an assist for the press. But that might be the fact that he was my captain in FPO influencing me somewhat there. 2 0, it was lucky it was 2 0, let's say, because shortly afterwards we had another moment of madness. Not for the first time this season, and probably not for the last time. We had a completely unnecessary wild challenge this time by eve Basuma. Now, I've been quite enjoying watching you two, Sox and Elio, have your battles on the WhatsApp chat about Basuma for a while, and I know that there's been some developments since then. I think, Elio, if it's not too bold of me to suggest, you, you do have a habit of getting quite emotional in the immediate aftermath of events during a game, as do we all. I dare suggest that some of your reactions to Mr. Basuma, in recent weeks might have been a touch, shall we say, overzealous, but I'm starting to catch up with you now because I don't really have any way to defend his actions in the what was it about 60 minutes into a game where we're comfortably cruising at
1: 2 0 up. I'll probably surprise you a little bit here, not completely because the guy deserves to be criticized, but I'll probably surprise you a little bit in that I actually think that one looked a hell of a lot worse in the slow mo slow down still mm. than in real time where he barely grazed him however he still had to go for it and the reason for that is the same reason i always give on these contentious things the reason i gave for the matty cash situation and that is that if you commit a tackle or a foul that is going to endanger someone else's health their safety their career even then the outcomes almost irrelevant it's the action that has to be under the microscope and mm-hmm. bisuba with studs up that high as well it was almost at the guy's knee that could really really injure someone that we've we've seen enough broken legs down the years to know that that's really stupid and really dangerous so mm-hmm. he had to go for it in the greater scheme of things there's just a worrying amount of games now in a very small sample size where i just feel let down by him yeah it's now his third suspension of the season i think by the time he's back from this suspension he'll have missed what 7 or 6 of the first 22 games of the season whatever it is like he's going to miss four games now we're on yeah, game 17 four games, so having already out missed Out of three. 21 games he's going to miss seven through suspension yeah. that's that's a third of the season three suspension. He's also missing a lot of games just by being a passenger and disappearing in key, key mm-hmm. moments. Before he made that tackle in this game, he'd made a few sloppy passes. He'd been caught in possession a few times. It was another sort of underwhelming performance after having had a good game against Newcastle. So I'm wondering when we're going to get the bang for Buck with Basuma, because for all that we were praising him at the beginning of the season, saying, oh my God, I can't believe Arsenal paid four times as much for Declan Rice. Yep. Blah blah blah. We're idiots. Uh I don't <laughs> think Sox was saying that in fairness. And <laughs> no, David a lot of people were though, and I... Yeah. But a lot of people are seeing idiots, why not. And I just I don't feel like I can trust him. Mm. And this guy's twenty seven years old. He's been in the Premier League for several yep. years. And it's not like like Richardson or like Poro, where there's been teething troubles because the mistakes he's making aren't down to anything to do with fitness or anything to do with the style of play or anything like that. Yep. The mistakes I'm making are because he's making stupid decisions over and over. The dive against Luton yeah. when he's already on a booking and we're winning. A tackle like this when we're comfortably sort of 2-0 up and on course to win our second game in a row and at a time when we've got so many injuries and so many players out as it is and he's about to go to the African Cup of Nations if I was Ange I'd be having serious thoughts about whether or not this guy's going to be reliable long term yeah. or whether actually someone who's maybe 10% worse in terms of ceiling but 50% better in terms of baseline mm-hmm enough to justify how many times he's let us down we're 17 games in it's ridiculous yeah. um, and it's going to take him a while to gain my trust back at least and i hate saying that because basuma is a footballer and the kind of guy you want to see on the pitch yeah he's great to watch when he's on it but this constant putting his teammates in trouble with stupid decisions if that was romero making that tackle then we'd be hammering romero for it and oh, yeah. Furthermore, Romero, when he has made those tackles and been punished for it rightly, mm. at least has a fair bit more credit in the bank for how many good matches he's had in a short space of time. Azuma doesn't have that and he's definitely got an uphill battle at the moment to be a successful yeah. first Player, in my opinion, well, Romero did make
0: that tackle pretty much. He just got away with it. In the last game, Romero basically made that tackle and only got a yellow for it. I think, But I think the difference is Romero doesn't make other mistakes as regularly. I think the only mistakes Romero seems to make are just those rash tackles and the disciplinary things. Whereas Basuma, if it feels like on average once per game, somewhere down the line, he'll either make a bad challenge or make a stupid decision, make a stupid dive, or he'll just try and take on a player where he's got no way of getting around him and then suddenly expose the team and we're conceding a big chance which it just doesn't seem to be good enough at the moment. But I guess we've seen enough to know that he can go for a string of games that are good enough and actually be a really good asset to the team. So I guess it, it asks a bigger question, I suppose, if you're looking at the team as a whole, if are looking at the squad, we've had Romero now, we've had the doggy sent off, we've had a couple of lucky incidents where we didn't get yellows where perhaps we should have done. Now I has got his second red, we're struggling with injuries as it is, and in that context we're still getting all these cards and we're getting all these suspensions. Is there generally a discipline problem at Spurs? Is this something that the manager needs to deal with? Is this just bad luck? Dave, you've watched a bit of Spurs this season now. Do you look at us and think we're a dirty team? Or do you think that these are just lapses in concentration adding up and a bit of bad luck? What do you think the problem is and how do you go about fixing it?
3: I don't think I would define it as a discipline issue with Spurs as a team. There may be something in... I think it was... Oh, it was someone who I'd never thought would defend you. It was Paul Merson. It was Paul Merson wow. on Soccer Saturday and he was, he was actually going to the fence of the Tottenham players and saying that the way that they play is so fast and the way that they move the ball is so quick that, you know, there is a chance that because they're moving so fast and they're moving so quickly that... Emphasizes the well, elevates the risk of them making a mistake like the ones that they do, where they're you know basically chasing the ball and they miss the ball and they get someone's someone's leg or someone's ankle. That said, just to come back on what we talked about, what you guys talked about about Basuma, that was so high, that was so bad. I mean, that was I don't understand how you could do that, how you could get someone so high up in in the leg when you were ultimately going for a ball which was on the floor. But yeah, I'm I'm not convinced it's a problem throughout the squad. I do think that well, we already had the Romero conversation last week and they've already, you know, has already said that he's going to be looking for a defender. But yeah, I think Elio's 100% correct when he says he can't rely on Bissouma. I think that's that's where we, uh, we, you... Sorry, are as a fan base in the sense that I think you know if push came to shove and you had a big game where you had to rely on some players, I don't think soon would necessarily be on the team sheet. Seeing as Daggus has dropped out again, Dave, do you want to try hosting the podcast? We can all have a go. Well, I've it's done like it Oprah. I you really, get a host. And I, and you a I was host. really good. So, um, <laughs> not really. No. Um, what's the next? What, what is the next <laughs> thing to talk about? Have we talked about the, the second goal? Because I wasn't here. We talked about Kuliszewski rather than about the goal that's oh, all right. okay. This episode has been a mess. It's been a fun one, hasn't it? It's, been... <laughs> it's a bit like Tottenham. Controlled chaos. I thought I'd missed it because I was going to mention that it was uh, Matt Turner putting two fingers up to his former employer, Arsenal, by passing the ball to Kuliszewski, who then went on to score through his face, which was quite funny, but there you go. It was impressive how his face phased out of existence momentarily. It was literally there. If he hadn't put his hands up, it would have hit his face and and not gone in. Dave, that is fantastic. Remind me to
0: ask you a lot more questions in future. That is an absolutely outstanding analysis. Anyway... (laughs) I don't know how we can possibly follow that. (laughs) I I don't know how we can possibly follow that, but I'm going to do my best. So that's Basuma, that's Spurs, that's Spurs and our general inability to finish game with no suspensions or weapons. Because of course, Udogi is missing now for the next game as well. So that's another issue we have to contend with. We'll we'll get on in a little bit to talk about the next games and uh, how we might shape up. Before we do though, just in terms of the overall game, one thing that I think we might not have mentioned that is worth a quick touch on is we might've had a bit of a disciplinary issue, but. My God, they like to foul us, especially that Ryan Yates. I think we've already mentioned Gary Neville. We've mentioned Basuma. If there's one more person to put on the the hit list for this week, it is a man who I don't think I'd heard of until this game and then immediately made him my mortal nemesis because I could not stand him. And also, what happened to the rule about players getting booked for asking for yellows? Because I think he did that about three times, one time successfully in the case of Udogi and didn't get one.
1: I just, I don't understand a lot of things about refereeing at the moment, and Yates not getting sent off is one of them. I mean, the amount of fouls he committed, the constant sort of, like I said, asking the ref to give yellow cards, it's it's mental, but he wasn't the only one. Mm. I mean, there was what looked like a clear Elbow on, oh, who was it? Was it Son that received the elbow? Yeah. um In the match that went completely, not even a free kick, never mind a booking or anything like that. There was some really inconsistent refereeing. Alanga, who, who was actually really good, yeah. committed a fair few fouls without retribution. And Davies got a yellow card for what the first thing he did, and it wasn't even that bad. Udogi got a yellow card for the mere crime of being somewhere near Ryan Yates. 50-50, shoulder to shoulder. I just don't understand. his mental. I think. I mean, Oliver Skip got absolutely butchered by one of their players. It seems that every time he gets a minute on the pitch, his second minute is a potential career-ending tackle on him. I I just, (laughs) I don't understand how lopsided. I'm not saying this is an anti-Spurs thing. I just, I keep seeing these inconsistencies, not just from game to game or from team to team, but within matches. And at some point, you're just going to wonder if referees have just kind of stopped making decisions altogether and they're just thinking to themselves, okay, I'll take action if VAR decides it for me. And they're just missing a load of stuff as a result because this was a truly horrendous refereeing performance Mm -hmm. in terms of how differently the two teams were officiated. Yeah. And like I said, I don't think that's an anti Spursing or anything like that. I'm not being a conspiracy theorist. I'm just I don't see the logic in fairly clean performance from us resulting in that many reprimands and a fairly dirty performance from Forrest mm. not doing so.
0: It's just that, isn't it? If the referees don't intervene early, and we've seen this before, we've seen this with a few games recently, and I know it's easy to say, oh, poor Spurs were getting kicked and no one else gets bad decisions against them. Obviously, I know it all balances out and whatever. But a few times now, teams have just been enabled where you know our players do keep on getting kicked. And you say Yates should have been sent off. He probably wouldn't have done half the stuff he did had he got a yellow... Early on, for one of the many things he should have been booked for, he he knows what he's doing. You know, most footballers, apart from Romero, are smart. <laughs> they will know when they're on a yellow to hold it back and not do these things. And you've got to put some blame on the referees for that. But then, you know, I, I suppose we're probably not the only teams that are saying that, and we have to we have to say that it's worked in our favour as well a couple of times too.
3: I think it's a compliment to you guys that teams know they can't play you off the pitch, so they have to try and kick you off the pitch. And I think to the other point about refereeing, it's just Elliot's right. It's just a lack of consistency that's the frustrating thing. The cons- consistency isn't there you know two times that happens in one game a guy gets sent off one time it happens in another game nothing happens you know that's the frustrating thing and that's also the thing that var can't do anything about and if if the referee is going to step back not give these things but var doesn't have a say in these kind of things because it's only going to do it if it's a clear and obvious red card absolutely then you're right then this thing these things will tick up and up and up and up and up and then suddenly you're actually not talking about suspensions and who should be and shouldn't be should be on the pitch. You're actually talking about injuries that should have been avoided because people weren't doing their jobs right.
1: James Madison being the case in point from the Chelsea game. And I think the one we've sort of talked about a little bit more here then is the arms in the air, the potential elbow. I can't remember if it was Alanga or Niacate that had his arm up. And I don't even think he was trying to elbow the guy, but he absolutely did. And it was dangerous. And If a studs-up challenge that could break a leg is a red card, why isn't an elbow-up challenge that could break a cheekbone or worse, like crack someone's skull?
0: Do you remember Joe Linton? Joe Linton on Porro oh, a couple of weeks yeah. ago, where he just shoved him in the back of the head and he went flying and he could have broken it. I mean, this sounds yeah. dramatic, but he could have broken his well, neck. I would argue that was would argue that
3: was worth. I would argue that that's worse because a jump into the air, we're well, going off PC, <laughs> a jump into the air which accidentally elbows someone in the face and breaks a cheekbone. A guy that slides in for a tackle, wanting to win the ball, but misses the ball and crunches and mm. snaps someone's ankle in half. Technically, that's not as bad as what Joel Inter did, which was yeah. essentially assault. <laughs> it pretty much was, <laughs> it, it yeah. I think it was. The ball, the ball wasn't even in the vicinity. He just wanted to push yeah. that guy over. There was no, that wasn't. I'm pushing you over so I can get to yeah. the ball. That, that wasn't the ball's in front of me. I need to challenge you for it. That was the ball's not here. I'm pushing you yeah. over, and that's. You know that's a foul, and it should be, and it should be a yellow card if not a red.
1: The lack of proper attention paid to dangerous aerial challenges is astounding. Because all right, someone gets a bad challenge to the leg, broken leg, absolutely horrible, and you never want to see that. Someone could die from a bad challenge to the head. Mm. I mean, yeah. Mason yeah, lost see. his career to that and had to have several hours worth of surgery on a fractured skull. I mean, it just boggles the minds why in this day and age. Something like that is just seen as oh well, you can't jump without your arms in your air. Well, that's well, that's
0: true to a degree. Like
3: salmon, and
1: that's true to
0: a degree as to how you put your arms out, where you do, and there's there's nuance to all these things, isn't it? It's not just jumping with your arms or
3: without.
1: Sarah was the master of it. Sarah never went for a header without raising both elbows to make sure. That whoever was anywhere mm. near him risks their safety if they it. The solution
3: him. is obvious, guys. The solution is obvious. Everybody should have their arms removed, bound <laughs> around their waists so that they're not allowed to move I think them defenders all might start doing that to avoid
0: handballs. You know, the way it's, they all. It's never going to be in a natural position for handballs. Like, exactly. Look, exactly. Look, look, my
3: arms are here. Just live like, just yeah, live like that. Mankind will evolve yeah. as being able to support their weight in full flight with their (laughs) arms (laughs) it's like try try run down the street with your hands are you saying we need to to try and force
0: evolution to make football easier okay fair enough
3: yeah maybe maybe just give footballers pockets (laughs) there you go you've solved it and say you have to have your hands in your pockets for the entire (laughs) game Dave has solved it that's
0: fantastic uh, it didn't help my rage at all the tackles and all the fouls we were receiving that the commentators decided to spend about five minutes hilariously laughing at Pedro Porro for being injured. Do you remember that? It was Carragher and I don't know who the main commentator was, but he got a clear kick on the ankle. It obviously hurt. And they were like, oh, look, oh, he's limping. Oh, now he's running. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he, he's going to run. It's probably uncomfortable and he's limping in between because he doesn't have to run. And it, they carried on this little game between them of like, oh, let's see if he's limping now. Like a couple of school yeah, games that that round have me up. I didn't like that. Was yeah, that just I me? that. Uh, I watched
1: the highlight. Well, oh. I watched the full match on Spurs play, so thankfully it was uh, Jamie Carragher and Gary oh, Neville. Oh, you
0: missed this. Uh, you, you survived. I was, you
1: know what? That was
0: probably evidence, Elio, that you weren't watching it, that you didn't comment on that, because I felt like that was exactly the kind of thing you'd have been wound up by as well. I enjoyed this tweet from Skipjack0079, who said, If the referees could let us know at what point in the season they think they're likely to feel they've made it up to Liverpool, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> That sums up a little bit. Poor Spurs, the victims, as always. Right. We've probably done enough talking about that game. Apart from the fact that, towards the end, Vicario kept us in it with a couple of lovely saves. But you touched on that earlier, Sox, didn't you? There was one in particular with his left leg that my initial reaction was ah, it just hit him he was standing there but then the slow motion replay made me look a mug and actually he did move his leg forward with um, really good precision and accuracy so well done to Vicario who has now I think he's got either the most or the second most clean sheets in the Premier League and he also has the most and I've never seen this as an actual stat before he has the most keeper sweep regains of any keeper in the Premier League with 20 so what a trophy well done to him well
3: trophy. trophy.
0: So next up, we are facing a resurgent Everton who can't seem to stop winning at the moment ever since their points deduction. And they were managed by a man who sounds rather like Elio at the moment in Sean Dyche. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've won four consecutive games. They've not conceded a goal. I don't know if we could do the inverse of Dr. Tottenham and, and put them down. But I think it's not a great time to be playing them. But again, it's one of those where you're thinking at home against a team like Everton, player for player, you've got to fancy us. How do you think that game's going to go, considering we are going to be missing quite a few players in our first team? Sox, you've been quiet while we've been talking absolute nonsense for the last 10 minutes. What are your thoughts looking ahead to the Everton game?
2: Uh, I am slightly concerned, partly for the reasons you mentioned, partly because of what we discussed. We're mm. obviously missing a dogie on top of Basuma. So I think yes. it will end up being quite similar to the Wolves game, whereby we have maybe Emerson at left-back, Davis partnering Romero and then at right-back. So I think our build-up on the left-hand side, certainly from Emerson's perspective, is going to suffer. We're then passing into, you suspect, Hoiberg to come in for Basuma and for all of Basuma's yeah. faults, I think even Hoiberg on an excellent day, we've we've discussed this so many times, just doesn't have the dexterity or agility or balance to give me that much confidence. But at the same time, I think we've seen enough already this season to trust this team a little bit. At home, you back us against anybody even with a depleted team and we've been depleted for the past few weeks it's just every single week it seems to be missing a player in a completely different position to the last which can't help but I'm not entirely sure yeah. what to make them they're a fairly big team and we've spoken in the past about how we are not and it's a bit kind of cliche to go Sean Dyche big team set piece especially having yeah. just seen them yeah. score a set piece against Burnley and Arna with a corner but at the same time sometimes it's you know Occam's race right and that might be the most obvious thing to happen
0: it's worth mentioning those songs. We, oh, I, I hate myself in advance for even bringing this up but we've done really well in defending said pieces this season. I think season. corners specifically. And, um, I think corners we've had the best record in terms of defending I corners this season. I think it's zero this season, from corners, great yeah. I'm like, oh, no, done it. Like, You're yeah. a complete yeah. twat. I know, I know. But if, if I wasn't allowed to say anything that could curse we us I'd just sit like here in silence.
2: Everybody would be happy about that.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. Well, I've disconnected a couple of times so I'm doing my we best. Said,
2: we said this would happen before the West Ham game and instead it was a jammy deflection and we just yeah. passed them the ball. So think of some other horse shit way we're going to concede, exactly. and that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs>
0: okay. There we go. What a resume. Sources, pessimism, this is crap <laughs> back in. Elio, uh, I imagine you might be a little bit more positive. Do you think we've got enough to see off Everton, given the players that are going to have to come in? I'm not
1: convinced Hoybier will come in, mainly because Skip came off the bench before him the other okay. day. And at least from a on-paper mm-hmm. perspective, especially as a six, Skip does fit what's... Our team is trying to do better. He's the more mobile player. He's actually able to take the ball on the half turn. He's got a bit of pace on him, and he's a quick user of the ball. Don't get me wrong, Hojb is a better passer when he has space to pick. But Skip's definitely the more, I guess, fluid footballer if we're going by how Ange is wanting our number six to play. So on that basis, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him come in. I think, ultimately, even depleted, we've still got a better team than Everton. I know they're on a really, really good run, but Johnson should, such, would be back in as well, and Richardson, Johnson, Saar, Kulusevski, and Son is a very good front five, and at least in the back five, you've still got Romero and Porro, even if... And Davies, who's doing a very, very good job, so I'm not looking at this and thinking we're going to be undone by who we're missing. What I may be a little bit more concerned about is just the fact that the way to play us this season has been to kick us out of matches, as Dave alluded to earlier. Kick long um, side That's yeah. what Chelsea did. That's what Aston Villa did. That's what West Ham did. Wolves didn't actually do that. Wolves played us off the park. Yeah. We were horrible that day, but we have been kicked off the pitch Palace a few times well. and that soft spine is the most likely thing to cost us again in my opinion and let's be honest Sean Dyche is not bad at that style of football is he so we'll see um, <laughs> I think if Johnson is fit and Touchwood he will be and it enables Kuliszewski to play in the middle on this kind of form I think we can blow them away early on with the way we're able to play but Mm -hmm. if we get sucked into a bitty agricultural football match then we'll suffer for it Okay. Okay. Interesting. You mentioned Skip.
0: I, I know he came on first, but I think the last time Basuma was out, Hoiberg came in in the sixth. Obviously, that was a little while back. Now
1: that was wolves. How well did
0: that work? Wow, that's true. That's true. I mean, I, I would personally pick Hoiberg as the lesser of evils. I don't think Skip has been particularly good recently, and I I say that reluctantly because I really want him to come good, and I do like him, but I just don't know how well. I don't know how well he sees the system. I don't know. What would you say, Socks? If you had to pick. For somebody to come in for Basuma for the next game or the next couple of games, as it will be, how many games is Basuma out for? Seven,
2: if If we include potentially.
0: The African Cup of Nations, yeah.
2: yeah I agree with everyone yeah. on Skip. Interestingly, Skip started one game this season, which was the first game of the season, and he played him in the left central midfield role where Saar normally plays. And when he has come on oh, yeah. in times, I, I know part of it has been enforced where he's brought him on for also in recent weeks because there's been literally nobody else. So we've only really got one mm-hmm. kind of with everybody available, where does he see him? And the answer is more in the Papsar role, which implies slightly more box-to-box. But... I agree with Elio in that I do think he's more mobile. I do think he's better on the turn. He's better at carrying the ball forward. He, he I'm surprised because okay. I think under both, or, or it was under Nuno, I think. He played Skip as more of kind of a box-to-box industrious eight, so I don't know if all these managers are seeing something in training that we're not, but I've always thought of him as slightly more of a defensive-minded midfielder anyway. I don't know if Hapsara's is a solution or we lose too much of his industry and his ability to kind of bring the ball forward if we play him defensively as well, but there's nobody else really. I mean, the reality is it will be a toss-up between Skip and Hoyberg. I think just by virtue of the fact that Skip will be here longer, you'd imagine, and maybe it's not that. Much longer, I don't yeah. know. And I think we've seen enough of Hoyberg in that role to feel, let's say, ambivalent about it. I wouldn't mind us throwing caution to the wind. I say caution. I wouldn't mind us just trying a different avenue with Skip, but if past equals prologue, then I guess it would just be Hoyberg again.
1: There is always the early prophesized move
2: of Emerson to defensive midfield oh christ yeah <laughs> well bearing in mind we're going to need somebody to tip your thighs at left back then lord knows who would one be one hill left back
1: emerson defensive midfield. Sorted.
2: <laughs> what about kulisewski left back when he can just bump forward bearing in mind they cut infield anyway and he's a robust guy and he's quite physical because you imagine ah. him just running through the middle of- if Lascelles wasn't injured fuck it chuck him there. what other position could he play in and the thing is, you're not going to mark the opposition left back, are you, when he's tirading
3: forward? You're
2: not going to know who to pick up.
1: Oh, our uh, goal against Leeds was good, by the way. Number seven,
3: that's Iago Santiago, probably. Does your under 21s have any input from the first team? Mm. Yes, yeah. we used to do that quite a lot. But since Farkas come in, it's almost like he's just put a big gaping crevasse between the first team and the 21s now. Like, not even the people that sometimes don't even get on the bench. So, like, Luke Ayling is obviously quite old but there are some others like Joe Hart you know you actually could still technically qualify for the 21s he's not getting anywhere near the 21s and he's only just getting onto the bench for the, for the first team it's it's weird because Bielsa we used to completely merge it basically Podge was like that and I'm just
2: doing that now but interestingly like when we had Conte the the under 21s and below were playing better football than the first team because they kept playing the Tottenham way I, I watched I haven't watched any youth games this year but I watched quite a few last year and they were by far the more entertaining because they kept trying to play but now it's become a bit more consistent
1: despite the fact that Wayne Burnett is apparently a bit of a old school agricultural guy
2: tactically. Yeah,
3: it's funny
1: Dave why are
3: Everton so good <laughs> <And> how, <how's laughs> how do beaten? they act so well
0: how do they do what they do? Um,
3: I have a big issue with getting 10-point deductions the season after it matters and early <laughs> enough in the season for it to be completely irrelevant. And the fact that Everton yeah, a, Everton fans have the... I don't, I don't know if it's nerve or just lack of brain cells to say the football system's corrupt and then start chants about how we've chipped away at our 10 points and it doesn't mean anything... When they broke the rules and they were punished for it, but they weren't retrospectively punished because that's not possible, really, when you really think about it. Yeah. Therefore, nobody, nobody has lost out. Nobody has lost out.
0: So cheating is your answer. So that's why. They're, quite frankly, they're so I don't yeah.
3: understand. Based on what Everton have done, I don't understand why everybody doesn't cheat. It's easy. Just do what they yeah. did, and and then you'll get minus ten a year after you've signed too many players and they're all bedded into the squad and you're performing better than you were. It's a nonsense, but whatever. Um, that would suit socks. He doesn't care what we finished at six. <laughs> oh yeah, you <laughs> should, you should, you should absolutely burn, burn books and you know, <laughs> burn FFP and just sign three £300 million players Mbappe probably wants to move. He's probably excited by the <laughs> by the project in to Tottenham.
0: We've probably done this. We just probably got away with it because Paratici is better than everyone else. Yeah, you
3: have got better lawyers, same as City.
0: Yeah, or we've just thrown him under the bus yeah. instead, one way or, or another.
1: Just say that um, we're going to win the league and then have it stripped from us. Uh, oh, how Spursy would that be? You can imagine. because of the fact that we didn't know that Defoe was using an unlicensed agent in 2009. Turns out f- Rosie Redknapp is going to
3: take us, us all up, down. Turns out Levy did burn that um, warehouse down. <laughs> And you call me the <laughs> negative one, Christ almighty. That was like my white dream. <laughs> anyway, your question was why are Everton <laughs> anyway, so good? Was, they're not yes, that good. They, they're right. they good at being, as Elio put it, agricultural. They are mm. a Sean Dyche team. He has created a Sean Dyche team. It's almost a perfect storm for him at the moment because he's got his Burnley mates who are doing the job for him. And he's surrounded them by some people who are better than the players that he had at Burnley as well. So he's basically got the best Burnley players yeah. plus better players. And he's able to actually, you know, put a team out that can win some games. He's won some games against a knackered Newcastle. No offence to you guys. You beat a knackered Newcastle. Yeah, more anyone handsomely. could beat them. would yeah. um, beat a Chelsea who don't know who they are. And they, and they had a couple of other victories, which were quite frankly victories that they should have had anyway. I really want you to win. I really want them to lose. I don't particularly like Everton or the way that they play football. Fair enough. Well, that's Everton. We do have another game coming up probably before we
0: next have a chance to record with uh, all the festivities approaching. And that is against Brighton, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Who uh, I imagine will propose a very different type of game. We seem to be coming up against agricultural guys kind of kick lumps out of us not playing any real kind of football or teams that think they're better than they are and trying to play lovely football around us and getting punished for it and I feel like Brighton dare I suggest probably fall into the last category because they've not quite been they haven't kicked on the way a lot of people thought they would under Deserby, and they've been exposed a couple of times dare I suggest
1: this is a game I think we can win I mean, away to Brighton is not an easy match and they're a side that has stuck into us a couple of times in recent years. I think Deserby is clearly a very good manager and has had them playing very good football on the whole. And just because they're in a slightly worse spot now than we expected them to be, we shouldn't underestimate what is... Well, Socks described Newcastle and thankfully didn't come to fruition as able to roll with the punches they've received because they've had several years of first team reserve team a player b player whatever being drilled and coached a certain way brighton's the same and the pitfalls are probably very similar to what they would have been in the newcastle game only maybe to a slightly lesser extent just in terms of quality so going into this away at brighton I'd be delighted if we got a win in this match. And my heart still tells me we should, but it's definitely not one to be arrogant about. Have you noticed, Elio, that we are
0: only six points off top? Of Christmas, oh, or Christmas. Christmas Or are you refusing to take such You're things? You're only seven points Christmas. ahead of why, Brighton. Why
3: do you do these things? Because you missed
0: out on the last time I did it. And Sox said that he missed having you here, <laughs> so I thought I'd try it with you
3: back. It's a shame we're not. Um, I'm it's, it's a shame messing. we're not recording before the Brighton game because I'm actually going to Selhurst Park in three days to watch the most inexplicable Derby in the world, Crystal Palace versus Brighton. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. I never so, quite so I will be able that. to
3: report back. So I'll I'll put that on my. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet or whatever you say when you are tweeting nowadays
0: the only derbies worth watching Dave are the ones involving Spurs unfortunately they're the only interesting ones nowadays we all watch the Manchester I mean, derby might be the wrong word rivalries the Manchester Liverpool game that was a snooze fest wasn't it Jesus uh, well, do they ever have a good game between well yeah, <laughs> the 7-0 the like was was <laughs> nice yeah I guess you can, we, can, we can put that in there
1: generally there's so many boring games between them you're more likely to get a good game watching Stevenage Parnett <laughs> <laughs> yeah. especially if Edgar Davids
0: is involved I did uh, forget to to mention something earlier that amused me um somebody tweeted about the forest game credit goes out to digital spurs here singing he left because you're shit to the team that just brought your best player is an interesting choice (laughs) and the only other thing i wanted to touch on but we already mentioned it was yeah gary neville trying to tout our manager to manchester city after all of 17 league games in charge
1: elio tabby sabby (laughs) is that the episode there you go there you go
0: I think we've already given Elio enough of a platform to ruin what's left of his voice we should probably cut it off there right but
1: no I do want to say one little thing before we go of course you do today would have been the 56th birthday of the late Justin Edinburgh yes so obviously he died uh, very suddenly very unexpectedly and very tragically amidst what was a burgeoning early managerial career and obviously his son Charlie Edinburgh has been doing a hell of a lot for awareness of sort of heart disease amongst uh, footballers I believe since then and so yeah just thoughts to a guy who played for us his entire career pretty much won a trophy, won two trophies with us actually, won an FA Cup and a League Cup with us and is no longer with us, far Mm. too young.
0: If it's not inappropriate to make the connection, it's kind of timely that you're you're bringing that up because obviously what happened to Tom Lockyer the other day, thankfully he's okay, he's had his heart issues, he collapsed on the pitch as I'm sure you all saw and I think Charlie Edinburgh is campaigning for is it to have defibrillators, mandatory defibrillators in uh, basically all sports facilities in the United Kingdom and it's going to be called Justin's Law if it goes through. I think it's absolutely insane that that isn't
3: already it's, a lot. yeah. I
0: mean, <laughs> when I read that, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, surely that should already be a thing, you know, especially with the, some of the higher profile ones we've had. Obviously, Chrissy Erickson being the standout one in front of the world not that long ago. So, so yeah, um, shout out to Charlie for pushing all of that, and yeah, Justin Edinburgh that's a name that I remember. One of those that, when I first started paying attention, was always there back in those days on the, the team sheet. Um, guys, is there anything else to add before we we wrap things up? Socks, Dave.
2: I can neither follow Stabby Stabby nor the wonderful tribute to Justin Edinburgh either for humour or emotion, <laughs> so I'm not going to try. That encompassed the full range of emotions. Those, yeah, and let nobody say the that- tone on the Plus <laughs> day podcast. Let yeah. nobody say that we do not contain multitudes on this
3: podcast.
0: Yeah. Get you a man who can do both.
2: <laughs> I just
3: want to follow- I just want to follow up because I wrote it down and I underlined it and I put three question marks after it Uh, it's the first thing that was mentioned on this podcast which was asking elio if he watched it back in full how many games do you watch back in full in 90 minutes well no he missed the game yeah i know but even if i'd missed a game i wouldn't watch it back in full that seems insanity to me there's only one game i've ever watched back in full ever and that was england versus germany at the last euro's which I couldn't watch because I was working and I turned off everything and waited and, and then oh, so finished you actually it went three Zim hours blind. and then watched yeah. the game with nobody and then rang my mates who were hammered and went, yeah, we bloody beat Germany. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, that was like four <laughs> hours. <laughs> <laughs> I so there's a handful of games
1: I've watched back in full of my life. Spurs nine, Wigan <laughs> one, unbelievable score. Jermaine Defoe, five goals brilliant night i watched spurs five arsenal one in the league cup semi-final yep. back in full as well because at that point i was by far the best Spurs performance in my lifetime mm-hmm. or at least in my living memory and i watched well i watched this game back and full because i missed it and we won and i wanted to be able to do a good professional job on this evening's recording. that's what i want to hear music to my ears
0: i watched lots of games back and full. i actually used to have a video of the 3-1 against arsenal from the 1991 1991- Cup semi-final, a 25 yard, 35 yard free kick, a VHS. So I've watched that game, and not long ago, I watched. Funny you should say it, Dave. England Germany, not from the last Euros, from the '96 Euros, uh, which game we actually lost. And I watched the whole 120 minutes. Yeah, they they, they replayed that a
3: few times during lockdown, didn't they? As well,
0: and the four-one against Holland, which was. Probably my favourite game ever. Watching as an England fan, to be honest. So yeah, I'm a big fan of watching games back, which is probably a surefire sign that I have way too much free time. Yeah, I've got, and... I've got no,
3: enough, I've got enough time on my hands. No, I got no. a life so, to live and everything. You have kids, though I don't have kids, so sure. you know. Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: finally something all four of us can agree on anyway if you want to get in touch with us i'm not sure why you would but if you do tell us what games you've watched back in their entirety or any thoughts on spurs or otherwise uh, we are at plus Dave podcast on twitter we also have an email account apparently although uh, i'm not sure if it's working but you might want to send us an email just to test and see if it is and that is plus podcast at gmail.com and um hopefully We will all be back, uh, I guess, at this point after Christmas to talk about how Spurs are getting on, how they have got on, and what we all want on our New Year's resolutions from Ange and Spurs. So hopefully we'll all be back as a full-strength team, both Spurs and the Plus Daves, and look forward to having as many of you back for that as possible. So uh, until then, stay classy, Spurs fans. Have a lovely Christmas, and we'll see you soon.